You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on the first Sunday of Christmas, December 29th, 2019. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate but you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I saw many of you just a few days ago on Christmas Eve. It was wonderful to see you and to celebrate the birth of our Lord together. And we're still in Christmas. So Merry Christmas. You all know the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. This is a season. Christmas is not just one day. It's 12 days of celebrating. And so even though the world thinks Christmas starts at Thanksgiving and ends on December 25th, we know that we get to keep celebrating all the way until Epiphany, and then we celebrate something different. So, Merry Christmas. But there's one big difference between the lessons we read on Christmas Eve and the lessons that we always read on the first Sunday after Christmas, which is what today is. The lessons on Christmas Eve tell us all about the details of Jesus' birth. They tell us about Mary, they tell us about Joseph, they tell us about their journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, the place where all the world was supposed to be enrolled, and, and Joseph, because he was of the house and lineage of David, had to go to the city of Bethlehem, which is the city of David. They tell us about how there was no room in the inn and how they had to find a place to lay Jesus, and so he was laid in a manger because there was no room in the inn. So we hear all of those details about the birth of Jesus. They tell us what happened. The lessons for today tell us a little bit more about what these events mean. And so we have this beautiful poetry from the Gospel of John, and we have these wonderful prophecies from the book of Isaiah. So as we get into that, I want you to think about, for those of you who are married, your wedding day and what you wore on your wedding day. Or if you're not married, think about a very special day in your life and what you wore on that day. We tend to wear special clothes for special occasions. 
When I was getting married, I didn't want to wear just a normal tuxedo like everybody wears because I thought a normal tuxedo basically just looks like a business suit with a bow tie. And you know, it's got the fancy silk lapels and the, the stripe on the side of the pants, but you can't even see it because it's all black anyway. I wanted something that would stand out, something special. So I got the morning coat with the tails, right? And I got the, the gray vest, right? And I had the gray trousers with the gray silk stripe. And then I, I, I didn't wear a bow tie, I wore an ascot. Very, uh, yes, I loved it. I wanted to wear, or to have a cane with me, but the, the cane didn't make it into the ensemble. My wife, uh, she wasn't into that. So I, I had these special clothes for this special occasion. She had an even more special outfit than I did, which I didn't entirely notice until after the wedding, because I was uh, more captured by her beauty and the, the moment of the occasion. But later she showed me all of the beautiful beadwork on her, her dress. We wear special clothes for special occasions. We dress up for a wedding because it's a special day in your life. In Isaiah chapter 61, we see some special clothes for a special occasion. And so when we turn there, what we hear is these words. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So these are special garments, almost as if they're for a wedding day, for a special occasion. And as we listen to these words, you might get the impression that God is talking about clothing you with garments of salvation and clothing you with robes of righteousness. That's what I first thought as I was studying this passage. And then I realized that this is the end of a chapter that's all about the servant of God. So if we rewind back to the beginning of the chapter, Chapter 61, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the, and you're going to recognize these words, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. We recognize those words because they're, they're quite famous, but they're also the words that Jesus read when he went to visit the synagogue in his hometown at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. So he had lived for maybe 30 years without a public ministry, and he begins his public ministry at the synagogue in his hometown. And he stands up when he was invited to do so, and they give him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he opens it to this particular chapter, this particular verse, and he proclaims that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Jesus, because he has appointed me, anointed me, to bring good news to the poor. That is Jesus identifying with this passage of the servant in Isaiah and Jesus proclaiming that this ministry has now begun. He says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Praise God. And so now we get to the end of this chapter and what we read is about these robes, these garments of salvation, these robes of righteousness, which the servant, Jesus, the Messiah, is putting on. What are these robes all about? These robes are not normal attire. The servant is given special robes for a special occasion. Salvation and righteousness. It's as if Jesus is getting dressed for a wedding. 
It's as if Jesus is getting ready to go and visit us, which is exactly what these verses are all about. Jesus is preparing to enter into his creation, to take on human flesh and visit his people. And so he's putting on his special robes of righteousness and his garments of salvation for that occasion of our salvation and of his righteousness, which he's going to give to us. But notice these special garments are bestowed upon him by the Lord God. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. These are garments that the Lord God is putting on Jesus, his only begotten son. And this reminds us that Jesus was sent by the Father, sent to do this work of salvation among us. He's getting ready to visit us. Let's reflect on some other garments, though. If we go back again to the beginning of this chapter, we hear this in verse 3. The role of this servant is to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, which is a symbol of repentance and mourning. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garments of praise instead of a faint spirit. So we get new garments too. Jesus is getting these robes of righteousness and garments of salvation. We get garments of praise. But there's a faint echo of another moment in time when God clothed his people. If you remember back in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve first sinned and when they were leaving the garden, they had sewn garments for themselves of fig leaves. And the Lord takes away their garments of fig leaves and gives them garments of animal skins, which the Lord himself had made for them. These were garments to cover their shame, to cover their nakedness. Now God is replacing those garments with garments of praise. Garments that are no longer covering our shame and and brokenness because God has washed those things away through Jesus Christ. It's been completely washed away. You all probably remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. In this story, there's a son who says to his father, who was a very wealthy man, I don't want to live here anymore. So if you just write me a check for half of everything you own, I'm just going to take off and um, that'll be great. And for some reason, this father does write his son a check. He gives him a check for half of everything he owns, not literally a check. They didn't have checks in those days. And the son goes off into a far off land where in the, the old King James it says he, he wasted away these, these uh, riches with riotous living. Doesn't give us any more detail than that. But he had, he had a, a good rip and roar in time in a far off land and he spent all of his money, all that his father had given him. And so he's left with nothing and he needs a job. So he finds the only job he can find, which is feeding pigs something that would be abhorrent to any good Jew because Jews found pigs to be unclean. The Old Testament law said so. And so a good God-fearing Jew would never feed pigs, would never do anything. But he was a servant to the pigs. He was feeding the pigs. And he looks up from his pigs and he says, you know what? This is ridiculous. People in my father's house have more than enough to eat and I'm here feeding pigs. And so he, he starts to write a speech. He says, maybe if I go back to my dad and I say, maybe I could just be a servant in your house. And he starts practicing this speech as he walks back to his father's house, probably a very long journey. And when he gets there, he doesn't even have a chance to say his speech because the father runs to him. And this is what the father says. He says, 
But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. This son was probably stinky and smelly from feeding the pigs and from his long journey. His garments were probably tattered rags and filthy. And the father, in his great love for his son, clothes his son with these new garments, the finest garments from the house, and puts shoes on his feet and a ring on his finger. He restores his son to his former place. This is something the son didn't deserve. But the father loved the son, and he gave the son back his place. This is a beautiful image of grace, the free gift of God's favor towards us. And this gift is made possible by the incarnation, by Jesus leaving the glory of heaven, taking on human flesh, and coming to dwell among us. He puts on the garments garments of salvation so that he can clothe us with his righteousness. And in John 1, chapter 16, it says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Jesus' fullness pours out upon us, and we receive God's favor once again. It's not something we've earned. It's not something we deserve. In fact, it's the opposite of what we deserve. But God loves us, and he pours that out upon us. Now, let's shift gears for a moment. I want to talk about the zoo. How many of you have been to the zoo? And when I say the word zoo, what animal do you think of? Lions, giraffe, elk, zebras, elephants, tigers. We think about all these animals. That's the first thing that comes to mind when we think about the zoo. What's the second thing that comes to mind? The smell, exactly, thank you. It's the smell. Why is there a smell at the zoo? Because these animals eat a lot of food and they produce a lot of something else. (laughs) Animals consume lots of food and they produce large quantities of something that's rather smelly. And do you ever wonder what happens to all of that manure? Where does it all go? You know. (laughs) What happens to it? it gets composted and turned into zoo poo, which you can then go to the zoo and bring home and put all over your garden beds. It's really good fertilizer. I don't know if you knew this, but you can go to the zoo, the leaves can tell you just where to go, and you will have zoo poo for your garden. Here's the thing, gardening is a messy activity. It's a messy activity. Whether you're growing flowers or whether you're growing food, it's impossible to do so without getting your hands and probably your clothes dirty. Now imagine Jesus putting on these garments of salvation, these robes of righteousness. And what is he preparing to do? He's preparing to enter into his messy creation that's all messed up, that's all full of sin and junk and brokenness. Do you think his beautiful garments of salvation and his robes of righteousness are going to be unstained? Absolutely not. His robes of righteousness are going to get tattered and dirty. His garments of salvation are going to be soiled. And that's what he does for us. You would never wear your wedding clothes when you're gardening. I've only seen one person do it. That's when I visited uh, the, uh, the Queen's Castle in England, and her gardeners wear the same thing that I wore on my wedding day. The, the, the coat with the tails and the gray vest. And they're mowing the lawn, wearing that. But nobody else does that. 
You would never do that. You wouldn't wear that in your garden, but that's what Jesus does for us. He wears these robes of righteousness, these garments of salvation, as he comes to be among us. He comes to us spotless and perfectly righteous, and he takes our sin upon him. And so we can hear the echo of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 5, where St. Paul says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. There's an exchange that happens there. Jesus gives us what we don't have. He becomes what we are so that we can become what he is, perfectly righteous before God. Going back to Isaiah and the image of the garden, the next verse, verse 11 says, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. That's what the mission of this servant is. He puts on these robes of righteousness, these garments of salvation to go do a gardening project and to cause righteousness to sprout up from the messiness of the earth. God gets into the messiness of our lives and he causes righteousness and praise to sprout up. He takes the manure and dirt and brings forth the most beautiful flowers and the tastiest of fruits and vegetables. And this, too, is an example of what we read in the Gospel of John today. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Why did God pour out all of this grace upon us? We can find the answer in perhaps the most famous verse in the whole Bible, which comes just a couple chapters later, John 3, verse 16. You can say it with me if you remember it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We read that every Sunday in the comfortable words after the confession. God so loved the world. He did this because he loves us. Even in our messiness, even in our brokenness, even in our state of sin, far, far away from him, he loved us so much that like this, so the father of the prodigal son, he wanted to welcome us back and put garments of praise upon us. And he sent his son Jesus to accomplish that. How many of you have seen The Wizard of Oz? How many of you saw it uh, when it first came out? I don't know when it first came out. It was a very long time ago. Some of you saw it when it first came out. It was a big deal when it first came out. The first time I saw it, it was not when it first came out, but I saw it in my living room when I was three years old. Very scary experience. Don't ever show that movie to a three-year-old. It's a bad idea. But I saw it for the first time on our little black and white television. And I missed something very important about the spectacularness of this movie. Because if you remember, at the very beginning of the movie, it's in black and white in its original state. So Dorothy is in her house in Kansas, and she's with her parents in Kansas. It's all black and white, and then the tornado comes. It's in Kansas, and the, the funny old lady from down the street on the bicycle is whirling around in the tornado, cackling, and that's all in black and white. And the house lands in the land of Oz, and Dorothy opens the door of her house, and then all of a sudden, it was one of the first movies that ever had color in it. And so can you imagine how spectacular that would be 
to see the first part of the movie in black and white and then see those doors open and all of a sudden color. We don't think much of it today, but that was a big deal when it first came out. That's kind of like what it's like when Jesus came into the world. Going back to the Gospel of John, it says in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is something nobody had ever seen before. God had never taken on human flesh and entered into his creation before. And he shows us his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. He takes the black and white of the world and brings it into vivid life and color. The glory of Jesus shines into the darkness of the world. And for those who are set against him, this light is blinding and repulsive. But for those who are open to him, the glory is mysterious and attractive. When we become children of God, we start to reflect the glory of the Lord. Verse 6 in the Gospel of John says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is referring to John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist's job was simply to point the way to the Messiah, to identify him to the world and say, that's the guy. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. He had a ministry calling people to repentance so that they could prepare for the Messiah to come. John was not the Messiah. John was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And that's our ministry too. We are not the light. But as children of God, we reflect God's glory into the world. It's not our own light. It's the light of Jesus reflecting off of us. And we shine that light into the world. We bear witness about the light in the world that all might believe not through us, but through him. So how does God's glory shine through you? What is your testimony? How do you bear witness about the light? In the collect of the day for today, we read this. Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light kindled in our hearts may shine forth in our lives. So how does God's love, how does his light shine forth in your life? How has God changed you? And can others see it in your life? In Isaiah, now chapter 62, we hear the voice change just a little bit. We move from the voice of the servant to what is probably the voice of the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah now declares, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. These words are spoken to the people of Israel. And Isaiah saw a vision of the restoration of God's people, and he proclaimed it. God put a burden, a duty upon his life to proclaim this word. And that's why he can't keep silent. And that's why for Jerusalem's sake, he will not stop until this righteousness shines forth like a burning torch. The purpose of this righteousness before the nations 
is not to rub it in their faces. It says, The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called a new name. The purpose of this righteousness is not to, to stick it to the nations and say, Ha ha, we got it. It's because Israel is supposed to become an attraction to the nations. The light of God, the glory of God shining through Israel and out towards the nations is supposed to draw all the nations in. This was a new thing. We just talked about it in Sunday school today, about how the gospel was opened up to the Gentiles. God was drawing all the nations into himself through his people, the people of Israel. God wanted to restore not just Israel, but all of humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Therefore, we must be like Isaiah. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Isaiah couldn't keep silent because of the duty of the message that he had to proclaim. But I imagine that he also couldn't keep silent because of the overwhelming joy that he felt overseeing this restoration of Israel and restoration of Jerusalem. He got to see it in his mind's eye, out on the distance, in the horizon. He saw what God was about to do, and he got to proclaim that message of hope to Israel. And so, we too, like Isaiah, must rejoice. We must not keep silent. And our voice, our song, should be like that of Mary. In the Gospel of Luke, when she first hears the news of the baby that is to be born from her, she sings a magnificent song, and it's our song as well. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His name is holy, and we cry out praise. For Zion's sake, we will not keep silent until his righteousness shines forth like a burning torch in this dark world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you were willing to send him into the world because you love us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to turn to you each and every day. We thank you that you have adopted us as your sons and daughters. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to shine like bright burning torches in this world, to reflect your glory. Thank you for your salvation, Lord. Help us to be instruments of salvation in the lives of the people around us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.